Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 4th of November 2012, entitled, A Church Worth Talking About, and the Bible reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1-10. to Here's Pastor John Anderson. One Thessalonians chapter number one, I want to share with you a message that I hope will be very practical and very helpful. Let me just say while you're turning there, I have uh, been in four, four different time zones in the last nine days, actually five, because I'm in a new one today. So if I fall asleep right in the middle of the message, somebody else just pick it up and finish, amen? Uh, no, I'm just messing about, but uh, do pray for me this morning. I appreciate, uh, again, the privilege to be here, but pray that the Lord will give me exactly what he once said in a way that will honor and glorify him. Well, could I ask you to do this this morning just one more time? Would you stand with me out of reverence for God and his word as we read 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 this morning? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and I'd like to just read the text this morning, the whole chapter. There's 10 verses 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. I'd like you to notice verse number 8, especially this morning in our text. The scripture says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. Notice this so that we need not to speak anything. So that we need not to speak anything. I want to preach this morning on this subject, a church worth talking about. A church worth talking about. Father, for the next few moments, help me to be a blessing. Help me to be an encouragement. Your word promises in Isaiah 44, 3, that you'll pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. And Father, this morning we thirst for a filling of thy spirit as a preacher and as listeners of the word. Help us to hear with the heart to do and the heart to obey. Father, I pray that you'll help me to say what needs to be said, nothing more, nothing less. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. 
In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul pins this passage of Scripture under inspiration of God's Spirit. We come to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and the Apostle Paul uh, has planted this church in Thessalonica, we believe, on either the end of his first missionary journey or the beginning of his second missionary journey. But either way, we know that the Apostle Paul was a church planter. Everywhere the Apostle Paul went, he planted churches. People became Christians, and with those Christians, he established new churches. He would leave one of the men that he had trained uh, there at that church, and they would pastor that church to carry the work of God on. Many of those churches, in turn, would then support Paul's ministry as a church-planting pastor. The Apostle Paul has an amazing ministry, and we know, according to the Word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, we know that he went to many regions around the world. We know that his ministry was not just limited to a certain area or a certain group of people, but we know that he went to many regions and many places all across Asia Minor into even parts of Europe. And the gospel of Jesus Christ took great effect, not just through Paul's ministry, but through the ministry of these churches that he planted. We come to 1 Thessalonians, and the Bible is teaching us a wonderful truth about this passage of Scripture the Apostle Paul is writing back to this church. He's writing back. He has a heart for this church. He has a burden for this church. In fact, he even talks about the fact that he considers this church his child almost as, he, as he's birthed this church and born this church. Paul has a burden, and Paul's writing back into a church that is in a city that is an absolutely wicked, wicked city. The city of Thessalonica was wholly given to idolatry. It was a place where idolatrous temples had been built. It was, there was a place in Thessalonica, in fact, where if you would go to Thessalonica, it was known as the sin capital of Asia Minor at one point. Uh, Thessalonica was not a place where you imagine that a church would be established because it was a place that was full of idolatry and false religion. Paul establishes this church by God's grace, and now he sends this letter back to this church. And he's giving hope, he's giving encouragement in this church. Now, as we come to the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing and he's reminding this church and he's trying to encourage them. And this church was a great church. It was a small church, but it was a great church. It was a great church because this church was making a difference in a place where no one imagined a difference could be made. Can I just say real quickly, I'm glad that God works in places that people don't think he can work. It's a wonderful thing when you think that God works in places where people say he can't work. I believe God delights in working in places like that because he gets all the glory, doesn't he? Uh, we can't take the glory. We have to say, man, you're a great God. And God is doing this work here in Thessalonica. We come to this passage of scripture and Paul is writing back and He's going to remind them of many truths, but he's writing back and he's saying of all the places that he's been, he's saying, listen, I've been to Achaia, I've been to Macedonia, I've been to many places, and, and I was going to these places, and I was going to use you as an example of giving. This church was a very generous church. And Paul went to other regions, I mean, literally some churches that were five and 600 miles away from this church on Thessalonica. And he said, I began a conversation. I was about to bring up your name. But when I brought up your name, everyone just stopped me. And they said, oh, no, no, no. We've already heard about that church. We've already heard about that church. 
Oh, the church of Thessalonica, oh, we know all about them. We know what God's doing there. You know what this church in Thessalonica was? This was a church worth talking about. It was a church worth talking about. It had spread all through the region. Everyone knew of how great this church was. This was not a great church in size. This was not a great church in strength. And I'm glad about that, by the way, that God doesn't measure the greatness of a church on its size. God's measuring stick is completely different. God measured this as a great church, and this church's influence had spread broad, and many people had come to Christ through the influence of this church, and this was truly a church worth talking about. I had the privilege, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what day it is, but uh, a week and a half ago, I flew from Heathrow on Monday of last week, so it was longer than that, and I arrived in Oceanside, California. Uh, in San Diego, I flew into San Diego and, and got out and I had somebody pick me up and I was meant to speak on Monday night and Tuesday night. So literally I got right off the plane and Monday evening ran straight to the pulpit. I have no idea what I said on Monday night, but I hope it worked. All right. Uh, I studied the whole way over, but I didn't sleep, but that's not a good combination. I think you ought to do both. Amen. Uh, but I, but I got off and I, I spoke on Monday night and and when, when I got up, I, I, the next morning, I got to the hotel that night, and I got up the next morning and had some things I needed to care for, so I, I called a cab, and, and a cab came along and picked me up, and I was riding out, and I said, you know, while I'm here, I picked up some invitations to the church, and I, I reached up in front, and I handed this cab driver an invitation to the church. I said, listen, I'm speaking here tonight. Man, I'd sure love to see you tonight. Do you have a church home that you attend anywhere? By the way, did you know every Christian can do that? Every one of us can do that. It takes three seconds of your life to do that. I handed that to this gentleman. I said, love to see you come along tonight. And the guy said, oh, what church is that? He turned it over and he saw the name. He goes, oh, I've already got one of these. Somebody came to my house and put this in my, uh, on my door just a couple of days ago. I've already got one of these. You know what he was saying? That's a church worth talking about. I went to the mobile phone shop to get a new SIM card for my UK mobile, so it would work in the US. And so I got a new SIM card, and I was uh, there, and I thought, you know, uh, this young lady, she's being nice. And you know what? I'm going I'm to invite her to church. And so I reached back, and I handed her one. I said, listen, I'm speaking tonight at such and such Baptist church. I would love for you to come on. And I handed it to her. She goes, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Last week, I visited that church for the first time. I'm going to be back there tomorrow. Oh, Wow. You know what she said? That's a church worth talking about. I left there and I went to a general nutrition store where I needed to get some stuff from my wife. My wife sends me with a huge list of things to bring back. It's always amazing. I always pack one empty bag and it comes back overweight every time. I'm like, what is going on here? Anyway, I, I came back and I went to a general nutrition store. As God is my witness, I went in, I, I paid for my things, I handed another invitation to the church. And the gentleman behind the counter said, oh, listen, uh, I appreciate it, but I'll see you tonight. I heard you speak last night at the church. I'll see you tonight uh, because I actually became a Christian at that church six months ago. You know what I heard? All I could hear is this church is a church worth talking about. Everybody I talked to knew of this church at the hotel, the concierge. Everyone knew of this church. You know what I said in my heart? I said, God, I want to pastor a church that's worth talking about. I want to make a difference. I want a community around to know about who Jesus Christ is because of this church. This was a church worth talking about. How can you be a member of a church worth talking about? 
I've got a great idea. Let's add programs. Let's do this. Let's do that. All programs are fine. Ministries are great. But that's not what makes a church worth talking about. We're going to see from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 some simple truths that God gives in his word that makes a church a church worth talking about. I'm going to give a very simple sermon this morning because I believe the Bible is a very simple, straightforward book. And I want to see in our text this morning what made this church in Thessalonica a church worth talking about. First of all, in our text, I want us to see that people in this church were saved. People in this church were saved. Now, that word saved is a Bible word. That is a Bible word. Uh, Today, when you talk about uh, evangelism and people coming to Christ, here's the word that's big in London. I don't know if it's big up here, but I have many people come and they'll say things like this. Well, so-and-so came to faith. Well, coming to faith and being saved sound completely different. You know what the word saved indicates? It indicates somebody's been rescued. And, and now, let me tell you this. If I'm drowning, I don't, want, I don't want to come to faith. I want to be saved, amen? I want somebody to save me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not come to faith, but saved. It's a good Bible word. It puts some urgency in this thing. It puts some desperation in this thing. And the Bible uses that word on purpose because we were lost and headed for the lake of fire. But Christ saved us. He rescued us. He's delivered us. That word saves just a real good word. Now, the Bible uses that word many times. But I want us to see what happened in this church and why this church was a church we're talking about. And here's why. The people in the church were saved. They were saved. Now I want us to see in this passage of Scripture, verse number 3, Paul writes back. And he says, verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And notice verse number 3. This verse is so important in our Bible. I want you to see this. He says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Your work of faith. Now, if somebody becomes a Christian, it's not because they've worked It's because they've trusted. There's a difference between trusting in your works and trusting in the grace of God. Uh, Works cannot save anyone. Only grace can save. But God says that there was a work of faith that these believers did. Now, I want us to notice the work of faith. Now, Now, just back up for a moment. We do not work in order to become a Christian, but if we are a Christian, we will work. We will do good works for God. I want us to see in verse number 9 what their good work of faith was. He says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. Notice this. How ye turn to God from idols. Their work of faith was simply this. They turned to God from idols. Now, they were in an idolatrous city. There was, in fact, a temple in this city that was erected to the goddess Diana. Uh, There was many false religions. There was false occults in this city. And I want you to notice the message that Paul preached. Paul did not say, you can continue serving these idols and Jesus. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you held on to your religion and hold on to Jesus, and you know what? It'll all work out at the end. Notice what they did. They turned 
to God from idols. You cannot have Jesus and. It is Jesus and only Jesus. He turned to God from idols. We live in a very pluralistic world today where people say, listen, uh, you you people are very narrow-minded if you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's too narrow-minded. And man, we can't have unity. We can't have peace. We can't have fellowship in a world like that. Because listen, uh, so-and-so, he's just as sincere about his faith as you're sincere about your faith. Anybody ever hear that before? I hear it every day. So do you. (laughs) He's just as sincere as you are about your faith. Therefore, who's right and who's wrong? Can I tell you this this morning? Sincerity cannot replace accuracy. Sincerity cannot replace accuracy. I could walk out today in the center of Birmingham and I could stand right in front of a bus and I could sincerely hope it stops, but that doesn't mean it will. Sincerity and accuracy are two different things. Did you know that you can be sincerely wrong? Sincerely wrong. Jesus said this many, many times. Jesus said, not everyone that says unto me on that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not a matter of being sincere. It's a matter of being accurate and believing on what Jesus said. And Jesus in this context and Paul in his context simply said this, that these people were saved and the evidence of their salvation was that they turned to God from these idols. They did not try to blend them. They said, no, there's got to be a change. There's a conversion. It's not the same. In our church this morning, There's a dear lady that I've been sharing the gospel with for the last four weeks. And I'm praying she gets saved today. Amen? Today. I believe that today is the day of salvation. I've been praying for her. And she's come from a very, very, uh, very confused, troubled background, spiritually speaking. But 26 years ago, she dated a man that's in our church who's a cab driver, a black cab driver in London. And he drives one of the black cabs. He's been driving it for 26 years. But he was well known on the east side of London as a brawler, as a fighter. In fact, this guy was so tough and so mean. If you see him, he's got forearms the size of Popeye. You know, he's crazy, man. Just, hey, how you doing, Pastor John? Anytime he shakes my hand, I'm just like, here we go. I'm getting ready, you know. Oh, you know, <laughs> I just I muster up all I can. And he, he puts it on me every time. Yeah, this gentleman, I mean, he was well known as one of these that you just didn't mess with. In fact, it was said in many of the pubs that he was kind of the bouncer and he would be sitting downstairs eating dinner and there would be a problem upstairs. He would say to the chef, keep my dinner warm, go up and put people in the hospital and come back down and finish dinner without even thinking about it. I mean, he's a very tough, tough guy. She dated him when he was living that way. Well, he got saved five years ago. Let me say that again. He got saved, Bible saved. He got saved from a very devout Catholic background. He got saved. He became a Christian. When he got saved, God changed his life completely. I mean, it's funny because the things he used to say, he doesn't say them anymore. He doesn't talk like that. Now, everything has changed in his life except his football team. I can't get him to change that. He's still supporting Tottenham. I don't know what's wrong with him. Anyway, I don't know if there's any Tottenham fans here. I'm an Arsenal supporter. We'll pray about it later and we'll get on in heaven. Amen. Anyway, uh, we had a rough day yesterday, but that's another story. Okay. Amen. God has blessed him. God's changed him. But this lady, she is from for the last 25 years 
has been involved in Buddhism. The last 25 years, devout. She actually has a doctorate degree in teaching religion, and she's been visiting our church for the last four weeks. Four weeks ago, she said, I should not even be in your church. This is known as a heretical temple in my religion. I shouldn't even be here. Every morning she wakes up at 5 o'clock and from 5 o'clock to 7.30 chants to herself because Buddhism teaches that you're God. You look in the mirror, you see God, and God sees you. That's exactly one of the statements that's taught in Buddhism. Look within. The answers are within. They're not without. I mean, she's been involved in this. She said, I should not even be in this heretical temple. I don't know why I'm here. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why are you here? She looked over and she pointed at this cab driver and she said, I've never seen anyone change their karma so quickly. (laughs) Never seen anyone change their karma so quickly. I've never seen anyone's life change as quickly as I've seen this man's life change. I've been trying to change my life for 26 years and I can't do it. And he just all of a sudden in one act of forgiveness is a different person. How can this be? You know what I can tell you? The gospel's true. The gospel's powerful. It changes lives. Jesus Christ is in the business of not just saving people from their sins, but saving them from themselves and putting them on a new path. David said in Psalm number 40, he said, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Amen. He lifted me up out of a horrible pit. He set my foot upon a rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my heart, even praises to our God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives. And that's what made this church a church worth talking about. You walked in, it wasn't dead religion. It wasn't someone sitting on a pew saying, I've got to give a nod to God and tip him with an offering. No, it wasn't any of that. It was people whose lives had genuinely been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a church worth talking about. Notice this. There was a work of faith, but I want you to notice there was a labor of love. There was a labor of love. Again, someone who's come to Christ, their life changes. Notice this labor of love. It's found in verse number nine. They serve the living and true God. They turned to God from idols, and now they're serving the living and true God. Before, they were serving dead, false idols, and now they're serving the living and true God. Notice this. He says in verse number three, he says, "...in patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father." Where, what was this patience all about? Well, it's found in verse number 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. What makes a church a church worth talking about? It's simply this. People that have genuinely been saved. People that have genuinely been saved. Notice this. These saved people, not were just saved, but now they're serving They're serving the living and true God. And notice this, they're patiently looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're looking for the second coming of Christ. They're waiting for him to return. I want us to see what happens in the life of someone that gets saved. When someone gets saved, it's just as natural for them to serve as it is for a child to eat. It literally is. Do you know the heart 
of the Bible and the heart of the message of the Bible is not that Jesus Christ can just give you a home in heaven, although that is a wonderful truth. I'm going to tell you, if there's any religion that says you can't have an assurance of heaven, my friend, that's a good reason to get saved because God's word gives us multiple assurances that we have eternal life. What a wonderful truth. By the way, eternal life is not my future hope. It's my present possession. I have it right now. You have it right now. That's a wonderful thing. And if we have that eternal life, we have that present possession as a motivation to serve. There's a motivation to serve God. How do we serve God? How do we serve Him? Well, we serve Him by serving one another. Notice what the Scripture tells us in verse number 5. Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for our sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were in samples to all that believe. I want us to notice how this church served how they served one another. I want us to see that it was not just a convenient thing to serve. They received the word of God in much affliction. They were literally persecuted when they became Christians. They stopped going to the idols. They stopped going to the temples to worship. They served God and God alone. And when they did that, many people began to mock, ridicule, and scorn them. Some commentators even believe that the lives of some of these people were taken for the cause of Jesus Christ. Many believe that they lost jobs and homes and families and all sorts of things. They were in a pagan culture full of the darkness of sin, and here are bright lights for Jesus shining in the city of Thessalonica. They did not receive the word without affliction. In fact, they paid the price for their faith. But in spite of that affliction, in spite of those troubles, in spite of those trials, you find him happily, joyfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Happily and joyfully serving him. The scripture says they received it in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Ghost. Now that's the key to it. How can I have joy in the midst of affliction? Can I say this real quickly? If you're here this morning and you have been saved, you genuinely have been born again into God's family, you're in the minority in your community. I think you know that. You're in the minority in your community. Not everyone says, yes, you're a Christian. Congratulations. Wonderful. Man, I'm so happy for you. That's great. We have a guy in our church who just became a Christian about six months ago from an Islamic background, very strong, strong Islamic background. Became a Christian, and then just two months ago, I had the privilege of baptizing him. When I baptized him, he recorded it. He wanted to record it. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to record the whole thing. I baptized him. You know what he did? He put it on YouTube. I said, can you take my face out of it when you do that? He put this on YouTube. You know what he did? He put it out, and he put it out there for his family, his friends, and everyone in Iraq to see that he became a Christian. I mean, he has received problem after problem after problem. His family has disowned him. 
They've cut him off. They said, we want nothing to do with you. Do you know what he has? He's received the word of God in affliction. But when you come to our church, he'll be sitting right there on Sunday morning with the smile of heaven on his face. Why? The Holy Ghost of God lives within him. He has joy that only Jesus can give. I'm going to tell you, you can have affliction, you can have trials, you can have problems, you can have difficulties, but if you have Jesus, you have all that you'll ever need. He lives within him. Wonderful truth. They served him in spite of affliction because they had the joy of the Holy Ghost within them. And I want you to notice this. They became followers. Paul said they became followers of us and of the Lord. Became followers of us and of the Lord. This church was not afraid to identify as a church. Notice that us, they became followers of us and of the Lord. It's funny because today we live in a world where many Christians, they'll say things like this, I'll identify with Jesus, but not with this church. I like Jesus, but I just don't like church. I had a guy tell me that a while back. He said, listen, I love Jesus, but I just don't like church. I don't like your church. I said, okay, well, I know we're not perfect, especially the pastor. I get that completely. I, I like church. I like Jesus, but I don't like the church. I said to him, I said, well, let me imagine for a moment that I'm going to invite you to lunch. I invite you to lunch. I said, listen, would you join me for lunch? And you say, sure, I'll join you for lunch. But, and then I say, listen, you're welcome to come, but your wife can't. I've got a real problem with your wife. You can come to lunch, but she's not welcome. Sorry. I said, let me ask you a question. Would you feel like you're really welcome? He goes, well, no. If I'm welcome and my wife's not welcome, there's a problem. I said, yeah, there is a problem. I said, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Jesus Christ has espoused us to himself as a church. And I said, so here's the problem. If you say you love Jesus, but you hate his church, you got a real problem with Jesus. Because Jesus loves his church. And he gave himself for it. These people were not afraid to identify with the suffering of Christ. They were not afraid to identify with the people of Christ. They were not afraid to identify with the work of Christ. The Bible tells us in verse number 7, so that they were in samples to all that believe. They were just examples to everyone that believed. Everyone said, what does a Christian look like? And they would just point right there. That's what a Christian looks like. They would point to that church and say, that's what a church ought to look like. That's what a Christian ought to look like. That's what God's people are. Do you know some people, the only Christian they'll ever see is you? The only Christian they'll ever see is me? I wonder, are we in samples of the faith? Are we examples of the grace of God and what God can do in the life of one who he touches? This is a church worth talking about. Why? They were saved. They served. They served God. They served others. I want us to see a third thing very quickly this morning. We're finished. This was a great church. They were saved. They served. But they sounded out the word of the Lord. They sounded out the word of the Lord. Verse number 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord. Now, it's a wonderful truth we see from this church. This church understood that they were saved. They understood their purpose was to serve. But I want you to see this. They did not just sit with the good news of Jesus Christ and say, 
Well, I have blessed assurance. Too bad you don't. That's not what they did. You know what this church did? They sounded it out. They told everybody. Everybody, you know what? That's why everybody heard about it. <laughs> this was a very cosmopolitan area, and people traveled from all over Asia Minor through Thessalonica. And I can imagine uh, in Thessalonica on Saturday mornings, there were people out there with gospel tracts. I'm just kidding. But they're out there preaching Christ, sharing the good news of Jesus. And so as people came through these cross points and went all throughout Asia Minor, they heard somebody say, hey, listen, you ought to come to church next Sunday. Hey, have I told you about Jesus Christ? Have I told you that he changed me? Have I told you that I used to worship at that big idolatrous temple, and now I go to a house church? What? You've left that for that? Yeah, but Jesus is in me now. It's amazing. Why? Wow. Where did this, what did they do? They sounded it out. They told everybody they could. There was something in them that burned within that somebody has got to hear what Jesus has done for me. That's what this church was, and that's why it was a church worth talking about. They sounded out and sounded forth the truth of God and the truth of his word. As I said, I was in California this past week, and I met a very fascinating, fascinating man. This guy has an unbelievable job. Excuse me, I was in Colorado. I'm getting California and Colorado mixed up. I flew from California to Colorado. I was in Colorado, and this man has a very fascinating job. He actually works in the missile defense system of the United States under that mountain out there in Colorado Springs. There's actually some mountain that you can drive into and all this. I don't know all of it. It, it, it sounded pretty cool. That's all I know. The guy said to me, when you come back next September, I'm going to give you a tour. I said, now we are talking. That's my kind of a thing. I'm ready to go. Can I say, can I put it on YouTube? No. <laughs> but okay, fair enough, you know. Uh, I, I met this guy, and he travels literally around the world, looks at different things, looks at different systems, looks at different all kinds of things for defense. I met this guy, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I meet you, and I think to myself, you're just an everyday, ordinary guy. I met him on a Wednesday night Bible study. He had a pair of blue jeans on, a button-up collar, and just came in just looked like a normal guy. I thought, well, you know, I don't know this guy from anything. But after I get done meeting him, I find out he makes about $750,000 a year. And he's worth a whole lot of money, and he's got all kinds of stuff. He's got all kinds of responsibility, and basically the whole Western Hemisphere is safe probably because of him and people like him. And I meet him. He's just like, hey, how you doing? I'm just like, whoa, wait a minute. This guy's a great guy. Nobody knows him. This is incredible. I said, you know, and I said, well, man, you're so low-key. And he goes, well, my kind of work, you got to be kind of low-key because you don't want people to know who you are. I said, so I can't get up and tell everybody your name next Sunday. He goes, please don't, you know. <laughs> I, I met this guy, and I'm sitting there, I said, man, this guy's got incredible things, he's, but he's just so quiet about it. I mean, look, look at everything he's got. Look at everything he does, and he's just quiet. And I understand in the nature of his work, he has to be. But you know, I, I meet Christians and Christian people who've been saved. God's forgiven them. Listen, not of sins past, present, but also future. Every sin they've ever committed. Save them from the penalty of sin, the lake of fire. Save them from the power of sin. They don't have to live under the domination of sin. One day it'll save them from the very presence of sin. But if you met them, they're like Christian undercaver agents. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever hears. Nobody ever hears from them. 
They're the type, when they go to a restaurant, they won't bow their head and pray for their food. They drop the serviette on the floor and pray on the way down. Lord, thank you for this food. We ask in Jesus' name. Yeah. Right? Ashamed of Jesus. Ashamed of his cross. Ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Not this church in Thessalonica. They knew what Jesus had done for them. They knew what great things God had delivered them from. And therefore, every person that came across their path, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you the difference he has made in me and the difference he can make in you. Why was this a church worth talking about? They were saved. They were serving. They were sharing Christ with everyone. I want you to see this. They were waiting for the second coming. How could these kind of people have such boldness and such hope? I mean, how could they live in this wicked city of Thessalonica with such boldness and such hope within their hearts? Well, because they were not living for a kingdom here. They were looking for a coming king. I want you to see in verse number 10, they were waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The second coming of Jesus Christ was in their heart, was in their minds. They were looking for him to return. You see, in Thessalonica, this was a city that was steeped in idolatry, and they did not believe in an afterlife. In fact, on a tomb, I saw this this summer in Thessalonica, in this area. There was a tomb there that literally said this, after this, no more. It's literally what was taught in this pagan culture, that there was no afterlife. And, and many of these believers had become confused about it, and thus the writing of the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes in chapter number 4, after there is, there is a whole lot more. There's going to be a return. Christ is going to come. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, we're going to be caught up together in the clouds to meet with the Lord. Paul writes this to, to combat this false teaching of idolatry. But, so why is this church, why do they share Christ with everyone? Why are they serving? Why are they telling everyone to be saved? Because they have hope that one day that Jesus Christ is coming again. They believe in it. We're starting a series, and I close with this. We're starting a series on Sunday nights in the new year called the Omega Course. <laughs> You've heard of the Alpha Course, where it all begins. We have one called the Omega Course, where it all ends. We're going verse by verse through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's funny because as soon as I announced that about a month ago, like six or seven Bible conspiracy theorists came running up to me. Hey, pastor, do you want to know who I think the Antichrist is? Sure, go ahead, you know. I got everything from Barack Obama to Bill Gates, you know. I was like, wow, okay, wow. That's amazing. You know what I find in the Bible, though? We're never told to look for the Antichrist. We're told to look for Jesus Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for him, aren't we? How can the glass be half full instead of half empty? How can we share Christ with everyone? How do we have a church that's loving and friendly and that stood on this hill for 81 years sharing Jesus for the last 81 years and 22 years under your pastor's ministry? How is this church going to go on and be a church worth talking about? Well, first of all, we've got to be saved. Saved. People must be saved. We must serve. But thirdly, we must share Jesus Christ because he is coming again. 
my dad, many times when we were growing up, would leave. And when he would leave, it was a different day and a different time, but he would leave me and my three older sisters at home together. By the way, three older sisters. There's crowns waiting in heaven for me, just to let you know. (laughs) They probably say there's crowns in heaven waiting for them. Anyway, that's another story. He would leave and he'd say, listen, I'm coming back. And when I come back, this needs to be done. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. I remember one day he said, I want you to mow the lawn. I want you to cut the grass. I want you to get the garden tidied up. I want you to take care of all the outdoor chores. Well, a friend of mine came by with some really, really important things that I needed to do that day called swimming, hiking, and football. And I got busy about all the things except what my dad had told me to do. And I remembered at about 3 o'clock, he was coming home at 5, I had to get all these things done. And I ran, I rushed, I hurried. But man, when he got back, I was about halfway finished. I'm not going to tell you how that conversation went. But can I just say I wasn't anticipating his return? (laughs) In fact, I was hoping he would delay it. You know, Jesus Christ has left us here with a charge. Preach the gospel to every creature. He must be busy about his service. And he says in his word, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find us busy doing what he has called us to do? Let's be a church worth talking about. If we're going to be a church worth talking about, we must be a Christian that's worth talking about. Father, I pray this morning you'll take the word of God from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. You'll penetrate our hearts, drive these truths deep within us. Help this to be more than a sermon this morning. Father, help this to be a burden that's conveyed. That Father, each one of us take to heart in our own personal lives. Challenge us, we pray. Convict us. Father, more importantly, change us. For your honor and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.